bottle of wine is more than just a beverage. It's a time capsule that can take you back to another place and another time. Every bottle has a story to tell. About the person who first decided to plant the vineyard. About the years of pampering the grapes through good times and drought and bitterly cold weather. It's a story of sacrifice, celebration, purple hands, and sometimes purple feet. In that bottle, there's a story about a winemaker who did everything possible to achieve perfection. From the vineyard to the barrel, and at long last, safely secured beneath that cork. Every wine has the ability to speak to you. But to make sure its voice is heard, Grape Encounters Radio is here to help communicate all those endless stories that really deserve to be told. Here's your host, David Wilson. me some ice, skin me a peach, save the fuzz for my pillow. And it is time for your Doctor weekly grape encounter, and most people who Doctor need information on wine eventually wind up here on Grape Encounters Radio, but there is another source, an amazing website that was conceptualized just a little over a year ago, but now is taking the wine world by storm. It's by far and away the most comprehensive resource for those of us looking for information on specific wineries. And on the line with me is Babek Mutamidi of Kazit. Welcome. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be on. All right. So let's talk about why Kazit. It was an ambitious project to say the least. And you guys came up with this idea, what, a year and a half ago? Ago, right? About a year and a half ago, my partner, Peter Kaspersky, who's uh, the owner of Cowboy Chow and Kazmir's World Wine Bar here in Arizona, which are two of the definitive wine destinations here in, in Arizona, had the idea for Kazit because we realized that there's a giant void in the wine world when it comes to enthusiasts searching for wineries online. And the consumers and the, the enthusiasts searching for information in wineries and wanted to find them and discover them and make reservations, but there's not one resource where they can find those wineries. So that's where Kazit was born, was out of that genuine need, and we're bridging that gap between the actively seeking enthusiast and the actual producers. It, it just seems like, to me, that is a void that should have been filled ages ago. You know, we were just as shocked when we discovered this because the wine industry is a huge industry and a community. You know, there's over 85 million self-described wine enthusiasts in the country. And for this to be overlooked was shocking to us. And to be honest, we don't know the answer. We don't know why it was overlooked. But uh, we're, we're happy that we're the ones solving the problem and connecting that active audience with the information that they're looking for. So how do you go about even tackling a project like this? Because there are so many wineries. And how many do you have from the United States and how many from other places beyond the, the states? So right now, Kazit in Hull has over 7,400 wineries on the platform. And we're growing by about 50 to 60 a day. What? Uh, yeah, we're a growing day. very quickly. Still. <laughs> how do you do that? How many people are on staff to gather up that kind of information? Oh, our, our overall staff is over 40 people from our content. We call it our content curation team. So we go and we grab the information from the winery's website and their Facebook and their public information, and we bring it all together on Kazit. 
And then we actually go one step further and we call each winery to confirm all the information is correct. So that way, when somebody's looking for, for example, a winery with picnic facilities and they come on to Kaz and they book a trip and they get there, we want to make sure they're able to have that picnic that we said they could have. So we call and we confirm every bit of information before it goes live on the platform. So you have some kind of intake form then? We have a full intake process. So what we do is we curate the content, then it goes to our intake team, and then they call the wineries one by one, and we just confirm everything on there and make sure that it's right, and we have all the rewards listed, and we encourage them to fill out additional information. Because on Kazit, so when somebody comes across Kazit, and let's say you're looking for an organic winery in Tennessee, you can find that. Okay, uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> we have four wineries in Alaska. So once you're on the winery's profile page, their detail page, just like a Facebook page, you can read about, obviously, their, their quick bio, their about us, you can learn about their practices and techniques, how they do their crop cover, their state vineyards, their team, the history of the winery. You can read about their winemaker. Uh, they can list their awards if they want. Tasting notes are available sometimes, depending if the winery has uploaded them or not. There's photos, there's videos. There's just a whole bank of information available for somebody to find and discover and select where they want to go visit. I don't know where one would begin to try to take on a project like this. First of all, I know just from hosting this show that people in the wine business are not the easiest people to track down. They can be out <laughs> in the vineyards, heaven knows where they're at. So just to be able to get them to settle down long enough to get the information has got to be a monumental task. I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, to be honest with you. Well, luckily, our office has an unlimited calling plan, so we can keep calling. <laughs> okay. And I imagine at first, when you get the wineries on the horn, they are a little suspicious that this is going to be something where you're trying to sell them something, and uh, obviously it isn't. So how hard is it to convince them that you're just doing them a favor? Well... Well, we do have different packages. There is a free package and there are paid right. packages. And it's, it's 100% up to the winery or whatever they want to select. If they want to have the free package, that's totally fine. But really, the, the shock comes from, wow, you're actually doing this. And then it becomes, thank you so much for doing this. Because just like you said, they're busy. They're in the vineyard. They're making the wine. They're bottling. They're working in the tasting room. This is really the last thing they have on their to-do list is connecting with that audience because they're so busy doing what they're great at, right? Making the wine. Right. So every winery that we talk to is really so appreciative that we've taken on this challenge and we're giving them a platform to connect with that person that's looking for that picnic facility at a winery in Oklahoma. Because again, that exists too. So when you set out to gather information from the wineries, how did you narrow down exactly what it was that you were going to ask the wineries and have contained on the website? Well, that actually has been one of the challenges for us because we've been, we've been expanding, right? So first we start off with, I don't even remember what our original template of information was going to be. And then we said, hey, you know what? We should add this on there. So we had to call everybody back. <laughs> and oh, no. It. But that's okay because, you know, we're staying in touch with the wineries. We're giving more information to that actively seeking audience. And we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep calling back. For example, something that we're going to be adding on in 2016 is if a winery provides RV parking because a lot of people go on summer road trips in RVs and that's a big deal. Can they fit their RV there? I yeah. didn't even know that you could do such a thing. Yeah. So there are a lot yeah. of wineries that I can pull my Class A RV into and I can just stay there for a while. And there's some that you can't, but uh, well, you'll, be able to, <laughs> you'll be able to filter that out. All right. Hey, we're talking to Bobek Motamity. He and his partner created Kazit, which is the end-all to beat-all when it comes to gathering consumer information about wineries. Now, are we talking nationwide? Are we talking worldwide? How far are you going right now, and what's your ultimate goal? So when we started out, we're based in Arizona. We said, let's get every winery in Arizona, which we did fairly quickly. 
And then we said, well, you know what? Let's add two winers from every state. Because everybody knows Northern California uh, and the Pacific Northwest, they think is you know, the wine world. But there's actually wineries in every state. There's 76 in Arizona. There's over 600 in Washington. But we went, let's get two in every state. And then we said, let's get 10 in every state. And we started growing and growing. And then we said, let's get a couple hundred in Canada. And then we said, you know what? Let's be in every English-speaking country. So now we have, I would say, the vast majority, if not all, I don't want to say all because there are new wineries every week, but vast majority of wineries in the U.S. We are in seven other countries. We're in uh, United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Ireland, and the U.K. Okay. And, uh, How many wineries are we talking about in Ireland? Ireland has four, but we got them all. Have, you got them all. <laughs> and this really begs the question, if there was no site that spelled out all of this information on wineries, then how do you know that you got them all? Well, we, we don't go to just one site. We go to different sources. We go to okay. municipalities. We go to the regulatory bodies, and we start there, and then we just continue. We have a whole research team. And then, again, we call everybody to make sure. And what's so great is because the wine world is such a community, we ask if there's anybody they want to refer or their neighbor that we should add that we may have missed, and they're more than happy because maybe I'm coming to Ireland and this particular winery that I'm on the phone with makes red wines, but the guy down the street makes white wines. So they don't see it as a threat by any means. They're just helping grow the community and grow awareness in their area. The big question is, can I park my RV at one of those Irish wineries? If you can get it there, I'm sure they would accommodate. <laughs> okay. At what point did you say, oh my gosh, we may have bitten off more than we can chew here? Or did you say that? No, honestly, that hasn't come across uh, really? in any of our discussions. There's 200,000 wineries worldwide. We're at 7,400 right now, and we're actually in the process of growing our team so we can go from uh, 50 to 60 new wineries a day to go to two to 300 new wineries a day. Wow. Our goal is within the next 18 months to have all 200,000 wineries on Kazit. And, you know, there are other places where you could Google something and find a website that's probably pretty dated, and it's just the old traditional yellow page result where there's a name and a phone number, which maybe they're still in business, maybe they're not, but it doesn't have the information, the story about the winery available, right, where I talked about the winemaker and their, their history and their team and their practices. There's no other place where you can find this wealth of information. Wow, amazing. We're talking to Babak Mutamadi of the Kazit website. If you haven't discovered the website, you have got to check it out. It's K-A-Z-Z-I-T dot com. How much time could I spend on the website roaming around? I guess the rest of my life, right? <laughs> you could, but that's actually a really great question, David. So, when people are online, on average, they spend about 60 to 90 seconds per website. The average first-time Kazit visitor spends over eight and a half minutes on our site, and returning visitors spend over 20 minutes on the platform. Oh, my gosh. Hold that thought, Bobak. We're going to be back in uh, just a second. We are talking to Bobak Motamity, one of the co-founders of Kazit, the end-all to beat-all when it comes to information on wineries. Now around the world, we'll continue this conversation when we return with more Grape Encounters. You're having a grape encounter with David Wilson. What a way to spend the day. For years, I seem to pour more wine down the drain than into my glass. I love great wine, but hate how quickly it goes bad. Now, for about the cost of a few good bottles, I pour as much as I want of whatever I want, whenever I want, with my Coravin from GrapeEncounters.com. Take a sip today, have a glass next month, and save the rest for a few years without removing the cork. Enjoy wine on your own terms with the remarkable Coravin from GrapeEncounters.com. Recently, I discovered a winery whose wines literally rock my world. 
I was so excited about them, I've relentlessly shared them with wine journalists, renowned sommeliers, and of course, wine enthusiasts. Well, it turns out I'm not the only one who thinks they're magical. They're from the beautiful Cardella Winery in Mendota, California, a tremendously fertile Central Valley location not known for fine wine production. Nonetheless, Cardella's remarkable Barbera, Sangiovese, Ruby Cabernet, and other varietals are absolutely world-class. Now, I take the endorsement of wines very seriously, and in seven years, I've endorsed less than five. Every single Cardella wine that I've tasted is a Grand Slam home run and ridiculously inexpensive. Cardella wines are available at their tasting room and online, provided they can be legally shipped to your state. So go to CardellaWinery.com. Buy them, drink them, and share them. Nestled between world-class Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo wine countries, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the humble heart of the Central Coast. With access to endless wine country adventures, including wine and olive oil tasting tours, artisan farm experiences, food, wine, and cultural events, historic Atascadero's cozy and oh-so-friendly atmosphere make it the perfect home base for Central Coast tourists. Discover more about the heart of the Central Coast at visitatascadero.com. There's only so much wine. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. with Grape Encounters Radio and talking about a website that has come onto the scene well after Grape Encounters came onto the scene. Just a year and a half ago, Bobak Mutamidi and his partner created a site called Kazit.com. And I have to ask, I'm sure everybody asks this question, why Kazit? So Peter and I, Peter's my partner and co-founder, we met at one of his establishments, Kazmir's World Wine Bar, years ago. And when we decided we want to build Kazit, we want to come up with a name that would pay tribute to where our friendship began. Okay. So his wine bar was named Kazmirez, K-A-Z, Kazmirez. So we named it Kazit in honor of where our friendship began. And now from here until eternity, people would be asking, where did the name come from? <laughs> uh, where did Google come from? Anyway, all right. Exactly. So tell me all of the things that I can do on the website and, you know, what is perhaps the highest and best purpose for going on the website? So on Kazit, you can leave it up to your imagination. You can go on there and you can search for a winemaker specifically, a label specifically. You can search for organic wineries, picnic facilities, wineries that have wedding services available. You can search by varietal. You can search by city, state, zip code. You can browse by location. Maybe you're going to New York next week and you just want to browse instead of searching for something specific and then narrow your search that way. Conversely, you can also browse by category. You can browse by red wine, white wine, or you can browse by a specific varietal. Uh, we have a fully integrated review platform. We encourage everybody to go on there and leave a review. Talk about your experience. Talk about how accommodating the tasting room staff was, how beautiful the views were. We're fully integrated with social media, so you can leave that review and you can like and share it with your Facebook and Twitter. We have an events platform. So maybe you're coming to Arizona and you're staying in Scottsdale, but you don't have time to make the three-hour drive to Sonoya to visit a winery. So you could go onto our events platform and look for local wine events. Maybe you could find a pairing or a wine tasting class or a wine dinner to attend. And those are from across the country we have that. So 
You can read the wine blog. So Kansas really has, just, you got to go on there and just have fun because nobody's found anything like this before. So this is just amazing. Find- so if I'm driving along on a vacation, I'm in my RV and I want to find the nearest winery that makes Tempranillo, that has a picnic ground, and that also will allow me to park my RV overnight, I can do that. And take your dog if you wanted to, yes. Okay, and if I want to find a winemaker that's got a certain distinguishing birthmark, can I find that as well? It depends on how much the winemaker wants to share. <laughs> Just absolutely amazing. What kind of cooperation are you getting from the winemaking community? Because you're asking for a lot of information. They love it because we take the work out of it for them. We we curate the content for them. We put it all together and then we, we get their approval on everything. So with with the winemakers, it's just a brief phone call to confirm everything, and then they take ownership of their profile, and that's it. We do all the work for them. Uh, I see. Okay, so you start the ball rolling, and then at some point, they can just go on and fill in as much or as little detail as they want to. Correct, and that's what's been really great about it. Because we take the work out of the winemakers' hands and turn it over to them, all they have to do is maintain it and update their winter hours or the new award they got, and they've been really, really active about doing that. Because of that, we're continually providing the most accurate and most current content to the wine-seeking audience. All right. Let, let me talk about the reviews for a second, because this is a subject that I know torques a lot of business people with rating sites like Yelp and TripAdvisor, etc. If somebody writes a less than complimentary review about one of the wineries, what is your policy in terms of taking that review down? Does it live forever? or will you listen to a winery if they feel like they've been maligned unnecessarily? So first of all, with one of the, you mentioned some other platforms, we are not pay to play. So yeah. if you're a paying member or not, that doesn't affect how we address reviews. Well, Yelp will tell you that they're not a pay to play either, but still it's very hard to get a review taken down there. Well, I, I'm not going to name any names. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> if somebody leaves a review with profanity in it or such, well, of course we'll take that down immediately because that's just defensive to the public. So we'll take that down. And this question, winers have asked me this question before. If you have, you know, nine out of 10 five star reviews and somebody comes on and just leaves a really raging one-star review, you let us know, you know what, we'll take that down because if you have 9 out of 10 that people are happy, you can't make everybody happy and this one guy is just going on and on and on about it, okay, you know, we'll give it consideration and we'll take it down. But if you have 9 out of 10 negative reviews and you're calling about the 10th negative review, well, you know, I'm not going to take that down unless it's offensive and vulgar because there's a pattern there. So why would I want to mislead the public? So there is a human element to this and you make those decisions in a subjective way. Absolutely. And we're we're very fair and reasonable. And, you know, it's again, it comes down to just common sense. If if somebody has 47 five-star reviews and one person just leaves a scathing one-star review, maybe the winery won't care about it because they have 47 five-stars. But if it bothers them, let us know. They have a consistent pattern of delivering excellence. Then we'll take that one down. Yeah, got it. And you know what? Who doesn't love wineries anyway? I think in general, wineries make us happy. All right. So we just have a minute left for the person who is near a computer and is now logging on to the website. Tell us the most fun that you can have as you introduce yourself to Kazit. So first you go to kazit.com, K-A-Z-Z-I-T. Make a profile, log in, 
and start browsing around and make a list of your favorites because that's the best way to get the recommendation engine going. You go on there and you click a little hard about which wineries that you like and you'll find more related to that. And then again, it comes down to just having fun and roll the dice and type in whatever you want in the search bar and you'll be shocked at what's available. So it's kind of like a Pandora kind of concept, except with wineries, the more information that I provide about my likes and dislikes, the more information I'm going to get back from the website. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. It's a smart website. We're working on it. Awesome. <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> Listen, we got just a few seconds left. What did you and your partner do before you did this? I understand he had a wine bar. Were you in the industry as well? I was not. So I've been a serial entrepreneur in uh, multiple different real estate businesses and technology businesses. And Peter has been an entrepreneur for the last 20 years as well. He owns iconic Cowboy Chown, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Yeah. He's won over 200 different awards and food and wine industry related awards. And he's just a celebrated, amazing restaurateur. Wow, this is just amazing. What a great service. You know what? You just cut my research time down by two thirds. <laughs> Seriously. <You're> <laughs> my pleasure. Seriously. You know, you have no idea how many wineries I talk to. Now I can get the information on Cass. It looked like I'm a genius. <laughs> and, and know their intimate details about their history and when they started and if they inherited the winery from their family or whatever it may be. Identifying birthmarks. There you go. <laughs> okay. Hey, Bobak, it's so nice to have you on the show. We're going to spend a little time exploring the website here at the Grape Encounters headquarters. Then I'm going to check back with you in a month or so, and I'll tell you what we learned. How's that? I, I look forward to it. I can't wait to hear. All right. The website is kazit.com. That's K-A-Z-Z-I-T.com. The most comprehensive website when it comes to gathering information on wineries. Anything you want to know about a winery is going to be on this website. It's the end all to beat all. It is for wine lovers like you and I and not pretentious, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> hey, Bobby, so nice to have you on. Thank you so Thanks. much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. You just made my life easier and we're going to be back with more Grape Encounters in just a moment and we're going to be talking about ports that aren't ports when we return with Grape Encounters Radio. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. Recently, I discovered a winery whose wines literally rock my world. I was so excited about them, I've relentlessly shared them with wine journalists, renowned sommeliers, and of course, wine enthusiasts. Well, it turns out I'm not the only one who thinks they're magical. They're from the beautiful Cardella Winery in Mendota, California, a tremendously fertile Central Valley location not known for fine wine production. Nonetheless, Cardella's remarkable Barbera, Sangiovese, Ruby Cabernet, and other varietals are absolutely world-class. Now, I take the endorsement of wines very seriously, and in seven years, I've endorsed less than five. Every single Cardella wine that I've tasted is a Grand Slam home run and ridiculously inexpensive. Cardella wines are available at their tasting room and online, provided they can be legally shipped to your state. So go to CardellaWinery.com, buy them, drink them, and share them. For years, I seem to pour more wine down the drain than into my glass. I love great wine, but hate how quickly it goes bad. Now, for about the cost of a few good bottles, I pour as much as I want of whatever I want, whenever I want, with my Coravin from GrapeEncounters.com. Take a sip today, have a glass next month, and save the rest for a few years 
without removing the cork. Enjoy wine on your own terms with the remarkable Coravin from GrapeEncounters.com. As a lifetime wine lover, I think I own practically every conceivable wine gizmo and gadget. Now I've put together a collection of some of my very favorite things so that you can take your wine obsession to the next level, just like me. From functional to pure fun, check out my favorite things by clicking the store banner at GrapeEncounters.com. That's Grape Encounters, like CloseEncounters.com. Now, back to Grape Encounters with David Wilson. A bottle of red, a bottle of white, it all depends upon your appetite. I'll meet you anytime you want in our Italian restaurant. And we are back with Grape Encounters Radio, and now we're going to talk about a subject that I think confuses a whole lot of people. And, you know, to draw an analogy to what we're about to talk about, think about sparkling wines for a second, and the fact that a lot of people will just refer to them as champagne, even though they're not. But they might have been made from the same grapes that you make champagne from. They might have been made the same method, method champenois, but we have to call them sparkling. Well, there's another kind of wine that we have a real problem with when it comes to describing the wine because we're not allowed to call it what it really is. What it is, I guess, under the surface, and that is port. So to talk port and wines that taste an awful lot like port but aren't port is a dear friend of the show, Yuta Torner, who is the maker of some of the finest port-style wine that you will ever taste. She's the owner of Two Horse Vineyard, and welcome, Yuta. Thanks for having me back on the show today. It's been a while since you and I have sat down behind microphones. But let's talk a little bit about the difference between port and port-style wines, why we can't call it port, and what all of these wines really are. The reason we cannot call them port any longer is because it's just like you said about the champagne. The port wines that are made in Portugal are the only ones that you are allowed to call port. It is now a trademark, oh, just like the, party, just like champagne Party wine poopers, is. party poopers, yeah. Might be party poopers, but that is the new rule. And if you even try to call anything that is a port wine a port wine that's not made in Portugal, guess what? You can't label it like a port. You will get nixed by our friends at the alcohol board, and you basically just can call it dessert wine. Which is really not the, I think, proper description of what it is, because when we call it dessert wine, now it's starting to sound like something completely different. When we talk about ports or even cognacs or anything like that, they're after dinner drinks, really, after dinner wines. That's correct. And it does confuse people. When I do tastings, I found out that it's really the best to call them port style wine. Port style, you can say. You can say. Well, I'm looking at your bottle right now. Does it, no, it, you cannot use... You can't put it on the bottle. You cannot use the word port on your label, period. Not even... Not in, even port style. Not even port style. No, not allowed. They won't approve your label. All right. But I got some bad news for you, Utah. I have seen a lot of people making port style wines and literally calling them port. 
Now, Have you seen them writing I, it on the label? Yes. They are probably what we like to call <clears throat> grandfathered in. They might have started their port growing or wine growing business before this rule was created. Do you know roughly when the rule came into effect? I think effect? it was between 2004 and 2007. So not very long ago. Not very long ago, no. Wow. And the Portuguese are the ones who did that. The Portuguese were the ones who did it. I don't know if they were sick and tired of having really good port wine coming out of California or they said, well, we are the inventors, quote unquote, of port wine and we want to have it trademarked. And so they did. And so they did. Okay. All right. But all the same, what you make is really exactly the same as what you would make to create a port. That's it's correct. It, same grapes, right? Yes, Let's talk grapes. about those for a second. Well, in my vineyard, I have grapes that... Oh, well, are- and, and, and let me say this. I'm sorry to interrupt, but let me say your vineyard is on the central coast of California. That's correct. Not it, in Portugal. Not in Portugal. And you have that's why you have a German accent is because you're from California. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Okay. Well, not exactly. I have a German accent because I now live in California, but immigrated from Germany about 30 years ago. So we have a German in California making Portuguese-style wines. Only this is possible so, in America. This is so confusing. Okay. <laughs> so the varietals that you grow are what? The varietals that I grow are really true Portuguese varietals. I grow the Tintacao, the Toriga Nacional, and the Zuzau, all three grapes that are only grown in Portugal for a port wine. They don't really use it for anything else. My vineyard also happens to be organically certified, and my port wine, or port style wine, to be correct, is also organically certified. Now, here comes the best part of your story. And that is your vineyard is not only certified organic, but you actually use two horses to plow. I do. And that's that's amazing. I use two horses to work my vineyard because I'm really a tiny, tiny fish in a very big port style pond, so to speak. And You're I, a tiny fish in a port-style pond. I am. I am. And you know what happened is when I first started out, I had absolutely no money when I started. And I couldn't afford a tractor. I couldn't afford machinery. But I did have two horses. And so I just made it work. Now, how did you end up with those kind of horses? I don't really know what they are. They're just big. They're They're like big horses. They're not Clydesdales. They're not Clydesdales. But they're getting close to that size. No, not really. I just like to call them draft ponies. And everybody laughs because when they hear the word pony, they think it's a little tiny thing. They're a good size. They're about 14.5 or 14.3 hands, as we like to say. And what would a normal horse be? More like 12, 13? No, a normal horse, like a big horse, is like 16 hands, like a Clydesdale. But why do your horses look so big then? Because they are massive in their chest and massive in their circumstance and massive in their butt so they can actually pull the equipment up and down my really steep hills in my vineyard. Now, you had these horses before you decided to hook them up to a That's plow. That's correct. I now, did. Were they ticked off when you did that the first time? Because the one was kind of ticked off, Like, yes. what are you doing, Mom? Pretty much. Yeah, kind exactly. Of, yes. The other one already knew to be in front of a wagon, but the younger one was kind of ticked off. For and a while. do they like it now? Do they 
enjoy it? I think so. I think they like working, yes. They do? Yeah. All right. Now, I'm just going to say this. You are on the diminutive size. Does that supposed I mean, to so mean? You're not, you're not a large person. You're, you're very... Short. Uh, yeah. Ish. Well, I was going to say short. You're Ish. just petite. Yeah. Petite sounds good. I am a little bit on the short side, yes. Yeah. So you are not a big load for the horses to pull, but trying to pull a plow through the ground, I think that's got to be tough. What is really tough is because my vineyard is at 2,000 plus feet. So every piece of grape stalk that I have is on a really steep incline or downhill. And so that's really tough for the horses. Wow. Okay. So how did you, first of all, teach the horses to plow? Did you have any experience in that? Or was that just a trial and error, learn by doing? Well, I like to tell people that if you want to get either killed or seriously injured, go ahead and hook up two horses to a plow. (laughs) Okay. I have a master's degree in horse training from Germany. And so my family raised horses. I grew up with horses. And I did know how to drive. I competed in Germany with horses in driving. So I did know that part. You mean driving means plowing or is that meaning pulling a wagon? As you see on TV when they race through an obstacle course like that. Okay. All right. So we were going to talk about port. Now we're talking about horses instead. Do the horses help to fertilize the vineyard as well? Not really. Well, they do occasionally, right? They got to make a little stop. All right. So we are talking to Yuta Turner. She is the owner of Two Horse Vineyard and Two Horse Vineyard makes this beautiful dessert wine from these authentic Portuguese varietals. And what in the world made you decide to grow Portuguese varietals in California of all places? Because there's not very much of that out here. No, there's not. When I bought my property... I checked out the climate and the region, and my little vineyard is in Region 5. And all that means is Region 5 is super hot during the summer and very cold during the winter. There are not too many red grape varietals that can make it. Now, some of the port varietals happen to be some that like Region 5. And I also knew that I would have a very small amount of grapes to work with. So it wasn't really something that I was interested in trying to do like a big red wine with a varietal that would be struggling in that particular locale. So I did do my due diligent research before I decided on growing these grapes. Okay, now here's the weirdest thing of all. You are a German-making Portuguese-style wines in California. And you plow the vineyard with horses, but you also don't drink. That's true. I don't drink, but I do taste. I do taste. Uh, What's the deal there? I mean, you don't don't drink, but you make one of the most beautiful port-style wines I have ever tasted in my life. And people go absolutely nuts for this. They buy your wine from all over the country. Yes, that's true. Because it's one of the very best out there. So why would you go into making a product that you don't even consume? Maybe it's so that I don't drink it all myself. Okay. Okay. All right. I don't get it, but that's amazing. Hey, can you stay with me for a minute or two more? You bet. All right. We're talking to Yuta Turner. She is the owner of Two Horse Vineyard. She also grows walnuts and does an amazing job with walnut products. We can talk about that for just a little bit as well. We'll return with more Grape Encounters right after this. Grape Encounters will continue shortly. If you're near a computer or have your smartphone in hand, join our Facebook group page by searching for GrapeEncountersRadio.com. David will return after these enlightening messages.
A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free trade chocolate-covered walnuts. Or you could visit their owner farm stand 4.5 miles west of Paso Robles on Adelaide Road. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there and bottles of Two Horse, of course. For years, I seem to pour more wine down the drain than into my glass. I love great wine, but hate how quickly it goes bad. Now, for about the cost of a few good bottles, I pour as much as I want of whatever I want, whenever I want, with my Coravin from GrapeEncounters.com. Take a sip today, have a glass next month, and save the rest for a few years without removing the cork. Enjoy wine on your own terms with the remarkable Coravin from GrapeEncounters.com. As a lifetime wine lover, I think I own practically every conceivable wine gizmo and gadget. Now I've put together a collection of some of my very favorite things so that you can take your wine obsession to the next level, just like me. From functional to pure fun, check out my favorite things by clicking the store banner at GrapeEncounters.com. That's Grape Encounters, like CloseEncounters.com. Grape Encounters Radio, the wine show that's absolutely, positively free. That's so you'll have a little extra cash to buy the good stuff. Here's David. So look around, for you say those vows, you're talking about a long, long time. And I don't want to burn your vineyards, just want to taste your sweet, sweet, sweet. Just want to taste your wine. Okay, we're back with Grape Encounters Radio and happy to have in the studio Yuta Turner. She is an amazing, amazing woman. She makes her living a number of different ways, but two of the things that she does is she grows walnuts and creates these wonderful walnut products. But on top of that, she has a vineyard in an area called Pozo, right? It's close to Pozo. It's actually inside the Las Padres National Forest. Yeah, which is a big national forest, by the way. It's huge, yes. And so you're actually... On forest land, then? I am one of the few <clears throat> private properties in 2,750,000 acres. How'd you get that? I just wanted to have a place that I didn't have to worry that there were ever going to be high risers when I look out the window. No, not out there. Not out it there. It takes forever to get out there. It it's, does. I tell people it is an hour from anywhere. But once you get out there, it's just beautiful. It's down home. It's real country. But let's go back to the subject of the varietals and what the difference is between your wine and a regular port. And it's probably 
probably just because it's the best choice that you have. You have to put the word dessert. You don't have to. You could call it anything if you wanted to, right? I cannot call it anything that I wanted to, and that has to do with the regulations of the alcohol and tobacco board that really determined what can and cannot be on your label. And because a port style wine or dessert wine, like they like to call it, has to have eighteen point eight percent alcohol, you cannot call exactly, it a red. Exactly eighteen point eight. You cannot call it a red. That would be wrong, and they wouldn't approve it. They're very, very extremely. Well, I hate to tell you, but it says red dessert wine. Okay, it says dessert wine though. So you can whites. say red if it's a dessert wine. Yes, you cannot uh, okay. say red wine without the dessert in the word. Okay, and you're basically a ruby style wine. Yes. Okay, explain. Well, the way I make my port style wine is that I actually fortify it. With what? I fortify it with aged grape brandy. And a lot of people use that, by the way. Yes. Even in regular wines as well. They do. The nice thing about mine is, of course, because uh, my brand is organically certified, the grape brandy is organic, and it's been aged in barrels for over five years. So it's okay. really nice and smooth. And you then can control the sugars and also the alcohols in your port. One of the comments that I like to hear when I do tastings is I say to them, well, can you give me two words? And they say not too sweet. And that's what I want to hear. Yes. I want to hear not too sweet because now you can pair it with something when you have it after dinner that is not overpowering. And that's why a lot of the restaurants like my port style wine is because it is not overpowering. Yeah, that's the big distinction, I think, between your wines and almost anything else I've tasted is the other ones come out of the bottle and go glug, 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 glug. Yes. Glug, glug, like motor oil, basically. Yeah. Pancake syrup, that's what it is, right? And they're super sweet and heaven knows how many calories, but very sweet. This wine is not overly sweet. And I really want to draw the distinction between what it really is and, and not just your wine, but all of these port style wines that are out there. These are very sophisticated wines. This isn't a sissy drink for somebody who can't tolerate a dry wine. This is a wine that people who love great wines, they love a great Cabernet, they have it with dinner, they follow it up with this. It's, is, it's a natural progression. It is. And you know what's interesting is a lot of people don't realize when we craft these port style wines, it is a little bit nerve wracking because you have to be right on it to stop the fermentation at the right point. And if you sit on your hands or you oversleep it, and it always seems to be in the middle of the night. I don't know why that is. It happens that fast. It happens that fast. If you don't watch it, if you don't watch your natural occurring sugars and then stop it, you're done. It's ruined. You can go home. And that is something people don't even realize. When you make a regular red, you ferment it down to nothing. Right. That's different. We don't do that. We have to watch really carefully what's going on with the fermentation. A little thing called residual sugar. Just a little bit. And yes. you want about, what, 5%, right? 5 five or 6% is usually okay. what I'm aiming for. And uh, of course, every year is different. Have you had one go bad? I have not had one go bad, but I'm going to tell you a little story. I had okay. one of my vintages not go bad, but got stuck. And of course, what that means is the yeast fall asleep because it's too cold. And it was cold because it was cold outside. It was one of those crazy years where all of a sudden the temperature in Paso Robles dropped like 40 degrees in an hour. And the yeast said, okay, I'm too cold. No, 
I'm not going to ferment anymore. But I wasn't at my right sugar. And we didn't know what to do, what to do. And finally, what we ended up doing is we put a little aquarium heater in there and heated the yeast back up. In the fermenter? Yes. We just stuck it in there and just heated it back up. I have never heard of that. Yeah. And I have to give credit where credit is due because this is actually something that our good friend Zig Zoller told us to do. And so I have to give her credit for that. And boy, those yeasts say, oh, it's warm again. Let's start fermenting. And it's one of my really good years now. But it could have been completely ruined. Did you have to add more yeast? No. It just kicks the yeast back into motion again. It kicked it back into motions. Yeah, because I am organic. I'm so regulated. I cannot use what they like to call yeast superfoods. A lot of the, well, almost I would say all of the other winemakers use it. That's a chemical that I'm not allowed to use. So I can only use organic yeast. Mine is all coming from Europe because we don't even have that here. And that's it. I cannot give them any other food. Let me ask you this. Since you are not going to call it port anyway, why do you even care about the 18% alcohol and the 5% residual sugar and all of those things? You could make it any way you want since you're never going to be called officially a port anyway. I do, but I don't think you would like it as well if I didn't care. In other words, the Portuguese have this dialed in and we have the benefit of hundreds of years of their experimentation and and creating great wines. So why not follow suit? Yes. Okay. I get it. All right. So if somebody wanted to get the ports and also I do have to mention, you have all these amazing walnut products as well, but walnuts pair lovely with wine. They do, especially my chocolate covered walnuts. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. So you can find those on the website, right? And if you're in a state where you can buy wines online, because not everybody can, but most can, then you would just go to mmorganicsplural.com. That's it. That's it. It stands for Manzanita Manor, right? That's correct. All right, Manzanita Manor Organics. But just go mmorganics.com and what will they find there? Well, the first thing they will find is they will see a photo of myself and my two horses working in the vineyard. So that's always fun. You know what? That's worth just logging on just to see that. Anyway, so the wines are there. The walnut products are there. They're fantastic too. They're made to pair together, aren't they? They are, especially the chocolate walnuts. We did pair them. It was an adenous way of tasting dark chocolate, but I got through it. I appreciate the quality that you put into this product so much because it really is a humdinger. And it is a labor of love, trust me. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful product. It's Two Horse Vineyards Red Dessert Wine. All right, Utah, we're done. That's it. Got to say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. All right, we'll see you next week. Your grape encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition. 